Please open your Bibles again to Luke chapter 23. Luke's gospel is full of contrasting characters. What he tries to do in his gospel narrative is place people together who have competing stories and force us to make the choice, which one are we going to identify with? Which one are we going to choose? In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah and Mary both have an angel appearing to them, telling them that they will have a child. Zechariah doubts. But Mary has faith and believes the promise of God. In Luke 2, a contrast is made between Jesus and Herod. Two kings, two types of kingdoms, which will you choose to follow? In Luke 7, a sinful woman and Simon the Pharisee are contrasted. Hospitality, which one demonstrates it? Simon has Jesus over to his house for a meal, but did not honor him as God, whereas The sinful woman comes, takes her expensive perfume, gets on her knees, kisses his feet, and anoints him with oil to honor him as the Messiah. In Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha are shown. Martha is distracted by all the preparations while Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Luke 16, we see the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man dies and goes to hell Whereas Lazarus, when he dies, he's taken to Abraham's side. One was exalted in this life and then tormented in the life to come. Lazarus was tormented in this life, but was exalted in the life to come. Luke 18, we have the tax collector and the Pharisee. One is self-righteous, while the other, the tax collector, knows he has no righteousness of his own. In Luke 21, the poor widow and the rich are contrasted. The widow gives her two little copper coins while the rich are giving lavishly of the wealth that they have. But God says that the woman has given more because she's given all that she has. Which brings us now to Luke chapter 23, and we see contrasted Jesus and Barabbas. Barabbas, who is guilty, will be set free, while Jesus, who is innocent, will be a substitute for Barabbas. Luke shows this contrast because he wants us to come to understanding that we have to choose a side. We have to choose whether we're going to be the tax collector or the Pharisee, the rich man or Lazarus, the sinful woman or the Pharisee. Which side will we choose? Our passage today began in verse 18, but let me give you some background. Turn with me to verse 1, verse 1 of Luke 23. Verse 1 says this, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. You see, what has taken place is that Jesus has been on trial. All four gospel accounts of Jesus' road to the cross, we see that he endures through six trials. Three of these trials are religious trials before the Jewish authorities, and the last three are civil trials before the Roman political authorities. He goes from Pilate back to Herod, uh, then back to Pilate. Twice in chapter 23 and verse 2 and 10, the scribes and the chief priests accuse him of insurrection. They charge him with usurping the authority of Caesar. They indict him as an enemy of the Romans. But what Luke does is clearly shows us that 
Jesus is innocent. He's not guilty. Three times in Luke 23, verse 14 through 22, Pilate declares Jesus is innocent. Look at verse 14. Pilate says, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people and and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Again, Pilate says in verse 15, look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. And then he says in verse 22, a third time he said this to them, what evil has he done? I found him no guilt deserving death. Three times in the span of nine verses, Jesus' innocence is shown. He doesn't deserve to die. But not only in, verse, uh, in those nine verses, throughout chapter 23, Luke painstakingly is trying to show that Jesus is innocent. In verse 4, he says, I find no guilt in this man. In verse 16, Luke says, um, I will therefore punish and release him. Verse 20, Pilate addressed him once more, desiring to release him. Verse 22, I will therefore punish and notice, release, release. He's trying to show that Jesus Christ is innocent. He has not done anything wrong. The Romans sometimes, though, what they would do is they would give a prisoner a good beating just to show them who is boss. So Pilate thinks that, hey, maybe if I punish him, verse 22, and then release him, it will appease the people. They'll get over their bloodlust of wanting to kill him. And you remember Jesus is innocent, but it's not just there. In verse 47, the Roman centurion said, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And then in verse 41, the thief on the cross stated, but this man has done nothing wrong. That word for nothing wrong is translated in the Greek, out of place. Jesus was out of place at this trial. Have you ever felt like you're out of place in different situations in life? Back in college, I wanted to surprise Amanda and take her to her concert. So we drove two hours north uh, to um, New York State, and there was a concert for Mandisa and Britt Nicole, And I didn't realize that when I stepped into the room, I was one of the few men that were there. I think the concert was like a girl's night out. And I'm walking there and I'm just looking and looking. I'm like, oh, my, I am out of place. What am I doing here? So I go and stand next to her. And then I see there's a couple dads that are trying to hide in the back. And I try to go with them. But she says, I want you to enjoy this with me. So I'm there singing with her in a group with all girls, I was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm out of place. Another place that I felt out of place was I got to go to uh, Eagles preseason game. And you guys know I'm a Chiefs fan, but I'm not dumb enough to wear a Chiefs jersey to an uh, Eagles game. I'm not that dumb. Um, this was years ago. Um, they were having a preseason game against the uh, Green Bay Packers. So I thought it would be harmless if I wore a Kansas City Royals, the baseball team, T-shirt walking in, I thought that would be okay. No, I can't say the things that people said to me because it's not appropriate in church. But some of the things I was, I was like, whoo, baby, I, I did not realize I was that. Um, I felt out of place there. I just remember going up and people 
boo, boo, the Royals stink. And I'm like, I know, we are always in last place. You don't have to tell me, I already know this. I felt out of place. Nothing was out of place in Jesus's life. Jesus Christ was innocent. He was sinless. Luke wants us to grasp that the Lamb of God was spotless, without blemish. There was no defect in him. Jesus is our first person in the contrast of chapter 23. Barabbas is the second. Jesus was innocent and Barabbas is guilty. And who do we identify with? Let's look at Barabbas, verse 18 and 19. Luke says this, but they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Only a relative few people are mentioned throughout all the Gospels, all four Gospels. Besides Jesus, you have Mary, the mother of Jesus, John the Baptist, Mary Magdalene, and Pilate. They're mentioned throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We understand how important these people are in the life of Jesus, but Barabbas is also included in this list. But Barabbas' inclusion might be even more unexpected when we think that not even all 12 disciples are cited in all four Gospels. John doesn't catalog him in his Gospels, nor is Jesus' earthly father named Joseph in the Gospel of Mark. We shouldn't take these exclusions as stating that they are unimportant, but we shouldn't ignore that the Holy Spirit wants us to notice Barabbas and the contrast with Jesus. So who is Barabbas? You see, in the Aramaic, it would be bar, which means son, and the last part is Abba. So he is the son of the father. You guys know Simon Bar-Jonah. He was Simon, the son of Jonah. I would be Lawrence Bar-David, Lawrence, the son of David. So the son of the father was known as what? Look at verse 19, an insurrectionist and a murderer. Matthew's gospel defines him as a notorious prisoner. Mark's gospel calls him a rebel in the prison. And in John's gospel, they call him a robber. All four accounts in the gospel lead us to believe that his Jewish countrymen likely viewed him as a thug. You see, Barabbas was a thug. Barabbas would have been one of those that would have been on America's most wanted list in the top 10. That's who he was. And who do the people want to release? Who do they want to be set free? Do you see this irony? They want Barabbas, the thug, to be set free, but Jesus Christ, the innocent, to be crucified. And remember what he's charged with. He's charged as an insurrectionist. He's charged as a rebel. So again, you need to understand this. The religious leaders are saying that Jesus Christ is an insurrectionist, and so he should be charged and not only deserving prison, but he should deserve to die because they're accusing him as a murderer. Pilate tried and tried again to release him, but to no avail, and we see this in verse 23. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted, He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and for murder, for whom they asked, 
but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Twice they repeat that Barabbas was known for insurrection and murder. Luke wants us to understand that Barabbas is guilty. Jesus is innocent. Can you imagine they're chanting, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus, make the exchange. Jesus is guilty. We want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Jesus is innocent, and he's delivered over for the punishment of death. I mean, you think about it. They could have just said, hey, just, just make the exchange, but imprison Jesus, or just lock him up and throw the creed. Lock him up, lock him up. No, they, they don't chant that. They want to kill Jesus. They want to be done and rid of him. In his trial, what you need to not miss is that Jesus is identifying with every one of us who has ever been betrayed in life. Any one of us who have ever been overlooked in life. Any one of us who have ever experienced abuse or been mistreated in life. Here's what you and I need to understand today. Jesus Christ understands us. He does. He understands what it's like for a loved one to stab you in the back and not show love to you. He understands not getting the benefit of doubt, the fair shake that you should get. Maybe it's with a boss. Maybe it's with a spouse. Jesus Christ understands verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse. He understands you. Jesus knows pain. He knows sorrow. He knows suffering. He understands us. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. You just imagine Jesus is standing there and he has these accusations lodged at him over and over again and he doesn't respond. He understands human suffering like no other. The loneliness you may feel, he understands it. The tears that you cry at night, he understands it. The temptations that you wrestle with, he understands the pain. You see, what happens for us as Christians is sometimes in life, we think we're all alone. We think that no one gets the pain that we are going through. We think we're going through this life and we are hopeless. But you're not alone in your confusion. You're not alone in your uncertainty. You're not alone in your frustration. Jesus Christ understands us today. Isaiah 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted, notice this, with grief, as one for whom men hid their faces. He was despised. What does Jesus know? He was exchanged. He knows what it means to be exchanged, to be innocent and yet declared guilty. Jesus, the innocent, was exchanged for Barabbas, the guilty. Pilate has made a decision and determined the fate of Jesus and Barabbas, but we also have a choice to make this morning, church family, with these contrasting people. Who would we set free? You see, this trial poses a problem for each of us. What do we do with Jesus and Barabbas? 
We need to answer these following questions as we pick this apart. What should we hope for will happen at the end of this trial? Do we hope that Jesus Christ gets the victory and is declared innocent? Or do we hope that Pilate makes the right decision or that he's condemned? What is our response when we see Jesus dragged from one fake trial to another fake trial, to get one accusation lobbed at him after another, to watch these unfulfilled testimonies, these tyrants that are controlling his life that he's a pawn in their game? Do we see this injustice? Do we think, how could they do this to the king of kings? Do you find yourself pulling for Jesus to be released? Or are you secretly hoping that he will be crucified? Would you be one of the people in the audience chanting, crucify him, crucify him? Or would you have stayed quiet? We have a choice to make. On the one hand, anyone on the side of justice must be for Jesus and against his evil accusers. Anyone with impartiality can clearly see that he is innocent of all the charges that are there. He should be set free, and it's so obvious. He was accused and abused, but he should be honored and adored. We may think if I was Pilate, I would do something different. If we believe that Jesus said about himself is true, that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that he is the son of God, the son of man, then we must demand his freedom. But then, on the other hand, if we really understand what Jesus is doing, we must hope, church family, that he's condemned and crucified. Without it, we won't be saved. It's Christ's death on the cross that atones for our sin and reconciles us to God. But this death came only because Christ was first condemned by Pilate. So even though we know that he deserves to be set free, inside we know we have to hope that for the sake of our lives, that he does stand this trial, is declared guilty, and is crucified. You see, you and I are actually Barabbas. You and I are actually the one that is guilty as charged. You and I are the ones that the accusation should be laid upon. We must hope that Jesus Christ is declared guilty for our sake. We must hope he's declared guilty to absorb the wrath of God, to cancel the debt that we owe, to die the death that we deserve. We must hope that he is declared guilty to have the full forgiveness of our sins, to take away our condemnation, and to reconcile us back to God. We must hope that Jesus Christ is declared guilty to free us from our slavery to sin, to secure the resurrection of the dead, to give eternal life to all who believe. We must hope that Jesus Christ is declared guilty so that we would have no guilt in life, no fear in death, that we could live with everlasting joy and peace in God. We must hope that Jesus Christ is declared guilty. On Tuesday at 3.45 p.m., my wife's brother-in-law's nephew was weed-whacking at Pensacola Christian College. 
Weed whacking in a location that Alden Carver, one of our young adults, has also weed whacked there before. At 3.45 p.m., a 59-year-old man who was drunk jumped over the curve in his truck and ran over Jaden Goins. He's rushed to the hospital, but he's declared dead in the ambulance. 19 years old. His parents are missionaries in Honduras. And uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law flew down yesterday for the funeral. And I got to watch some of it take place. As hard as it is to think, they want Jesus Christ to be declared guilty so that they have hope that their son Jaden is with Christ forevermore. You see, they have responded, as I'm watching the service and thinking, 19-year-old kid who is wanting to become a pastor, wanting to live his life for God, this selfish man who is drunk in the afternoon just takes away an innocent life, that's injustice. And yet, right now, Jaden is in the presence of his Savior, His family, though they are grieving, though that they are suffering with the loss of their family member, can have a measure of hope because they know where he is. Why? Because Jesus Christ is declared guilty. He's declared guilty. We have to hope that this exchange takes place because Jaden knows, and we got to see in the funeral, he's sharing uh, one of his sermons that he says that he is the chief of sinners. They played that. He would say that he was Barabbas, condemned. But Jesus Christ saved him. You and I need to understand that we are Barabbas. We are blinded by our sin. We are condemned to die, yet Jesus Christ came and took our place. He made the exchange. Use your imagination with me and step into this drama, being Barabbas. We know this for a fact that Barabbas is being held in prison in Jerusalem because that's where this has taken place, the fortress of Antonia. It's several hundred yards from the palace of the Herods where Pilate is more than likely conducting his courtroom proceedings. It's very likely that Barabbas could hear the growing mob of people chanting, crucify him, crucify him. They wouldn't know, he probably didn't know what they were saying, but he could hear the mob. And so you could think that fear could have overtaken him because he hears this crowd chanting, crucify him, crucify him. And what Barabbas hears, again, just imagine with me, is the clanging of the Roman soldier's keys walking down the hallway to his prison cell. He hears this clanging, and so his heart rate just goes up and goes up because he knows it's about to come. He's an insurrectionist. He's a murderer, and the Romans are going to make a sight of him. He knows he's about to be put on the cross. He's about to be crucified because that is the penalty that he deserves. He knows that he's going to be scourged before his 
flesh ripped out. He's going to be dragged on the cross, paraded naked through the town. And this overcomes him. He starts sweating blood with fear. He thinks about the nails that are going to pierce his hands and pierce his feet. The agony as he's gasping for breath, as blood fills up his lung and the pressure builds up and then the door opens and two guards step in and they shackle him, hands, feet, and they let him out of the cell. Barabbas, still, he knows this is going to happen. He's walked out of the cell. He hears, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus. And he's like, what is going on? He's taken out of the cell, and then he's standing outside. There's a circle of Roman guards around him, and he thinks, oh, this is it. This is the time. This is the time that they are going to beat me. This is the time they're going to make a mockery of me. This is the time that I'm going to pay the penalty for my sins. And one guard comes up, takes the key, unlocks his chains to his hands, unlocks the chains to his feet, and steps back and makes an opening. You see, these Roman guards, they, didn't even, they thought this was an injustice. This man deserved death, so they didn't even want to talk to him. But someone says to him, you can go. He's looking to his right, looking to his left. Does he go? Does he take that step forward? Is, is it okay? He thinks, maybe these guards are playing a trick on me. Maybe they want to make a mockery of me. He takes a step, another step, looks to his right, left, and then takes off running and doesn't know what's happening. He's free. He's free. He's free. Could that have happened? We don't know too much of the account of Barabbas, but that day an exchange was made and a guilty man was set free, and an innocent man was declared guilty. Luke records Barabbas in our passage today because he wants us to understand that Jesus Christ came to proclaim the captives free. Here are some responses that maybe Barabbas could have had when he's set free. He could have said, One thing, oh, it's good that I'm set free. I don't deserve to die. I'm innocent. You know what? I don't even want to accept the pardon, and they should just leave me in prison because I'm innocent. Many people refuse to accept that they are guilty in life, that they are already condemned. They refuse to admit that they are living in a prison of their sins, and they don't want to admit that they are wrong. Many of us are like Barabbas, maybe in this situation, that you really think that you are without sin, that you don't do anything wrong. But mind you, let me go talk to your spouse and see what they say about you. Let me go ask your kids and what they say about you, if you think you are perfect when you're really not. You see, the truth remains that you and I need a radical spiritual transformation. Sin must be admitted, confessed, and forgiven. If you want to get out of this prison, you have to admit that you are sinful. So his first response could be, I don't deserve to die. Or his response could be, I can't be pardoned yet. I appreciate this gesture, but I'd rather stay in this prison and grow through this personal reformation process. 
Let me get my life together before I accept this pardon. Let me, I'm not ready for freedom yet. I don't deserve it. There are people today that are like that. Look, I believe what you're saying about Jesus Christ taking my place, but I'm probably going to fail God again. And it is true. You and I will sin again, over and over again. But Jesus Christ was the friend of sinners who died for sinners. And once you become a Christian, you're not given perfection, but you're given a person who will enable you to pursue holiness. You're given a new passion for purity. Barabbas, as well as you and I, don't receive this exchange for life or death by our own personal reformation. We need a personal transformation done by uh, God on us. Or maybe this could have been Barabbas' response. I can't believe this is true. I can't believe this is talk, this is done. I'm Barabbas. I'm the notorious criminal. I am the one on the Romans' most wanted list. I am a murderer. I am a thief. I'm an insurrectionist. I don't deserve this grace. I don't deserve this exchange. And some of you today may be like this. You say, I stand accused. There's a list a mile long of all the sins and everything that I've done wrong. You know that you've rebelled against God. You know that you have sinned, maybe against family members, against parents. You know that you've committed immorality. You've been bitter. You've been jealous. You know all this, but you recognize how amazing it is that Jesus Christ exchanged his life for yours. The Lamb of God died in your place. His blood was poured out and your sin was erased. It was your death. He died. Now you're raised to life. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. That is where we stand today, church family. What Luke wants us to see is that Jesus Christ has made the exchange and he's paid the debt for us that we are sinful, that we are broken, and yet he has come to die on the cross for you and I today. We don't have to live like we are guilty anymore. In Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been set free. We have been delivered. Live like those who are the redeemed. Let's pray. Father, today as we just went through the story of Barabbas, help us to all recognize that we are Barabbas, Lord, that we are sinful, that we are guilty. And yet, Lord, because of this, this is why you came. You came to live the life that we, Lord, could never live perfect. Lord, you came to die the death, Lord, that we all deserve. You were raised to life, Lord. Now we are free. Now we are delivered. So, Lord, may we live for you, commit our lives to you, serve you, because we get what we do not deserve. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen.